you so much, Chris. It's a pleasure to be with you and my former ESPN colleague and former ESPN uh, coordinating producer at uh, ESPN. You're the son of the late great Dr. Jack Ramsey. I want to talk to you about your father and son relationship like I have my you know, father and son team at my company. Uh, Chris, when you think about relationship building, everybody has their own definition. How would you define relationship building? What does that definition mean to you? Well, Garrett, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here with you. And I have to tell you, I watched all your shows. I watched the Lou Holtz show. I watched the Tim <laughs> Kirchin show, the Dell Harris show. I watched the James Miller show. They're all terrific shows. And I'm thinking Thank to myself, so why is he, why does Garrett want to talk to me? You know, I mean, he has all these great guests and then there's me, but, uh, Thank you again for having me on. I, it's, truthfully, I learned so much from watching those shows about uh, relationships and, and team building. Um, and I gotta tell you, I agree, I agree with everything the, the other uh, guests said. You know, Lou Holtz, who is a world renowned and great motivational speaker. I mean, he was, he was tremendous on his show. He talked about, you know, doing the right thing and caring for people and doing your best. And I, I think that those are the things that, um, you know, you need to do to establish great relationships with other people. Absolutely. And, you know, when you look back to some of my uh, episodes with Coach Holtz and Tim Kirchin, James Miller, Howard Schwab, I also inter inter interviewed uh, Rex Walters, who was a former uh, player at the University of Kansas under uh, Roy Williams, who was just previously the assistant coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, when you look at all those interviews, what resonated with you? And again, you know, when you think about relationship building, what, what resonated with you? Any particular message that they, they had? Well, I think the one thing that I kept hearing people say was uh, you have to care about other people. And uh, that resonated in particular with me. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to care about the people on your team and you have to do it in a way in which uh, they, rec you know, they recognize it. You have to hold people accountable. You can't just care about, you know, your best player or your best writer or your best performer on television. You have to care about everybody. If you don't uh, care about the, the 15th person on your team, you're not doing it right. You have to care about everybody. You have to communicate with them, stay in touch with them and show caring. Or as uh, Coach Del Harris said, do caring. You know, uh, that is an important part of um, the relationship building with other people. Uh, I remember when I was working at ESPN, we have our staff of reporters are spread out across the country. We have reporters in Los Angeles and Golden State, uh, uh, San Francisco and Dallas and in Florida and uh, Chicago. And so it's hard to stay in touch with all those people all the time. But I tried to make it a point of, you know, picking up the phone and getting in touch with everybody, um, you know, at least once a week or every few days. Um, and not just uh, during the bad time, like if, 
somebody made a mistake, of course you have to follow up on that. But if somebody did something good, um, you know, pick up the phone, give them a call, let them know that they did something good. And I think positive, being a positive person, being a positive leader is, um, is just as important as caring about other people. Well, everybody has a role to play. And that's, you know, what Coach Harris talked about, you know, everybody on the bench, whether they're a starter or they're a reserve player, they're all very talented. They all have ways to contribute. They only have to work together to make a team successful and try to compete for an NBA championship. And, you know, there are role players or role individuals, if you will, uh, whether it's on a team or in a business or a family, talk about your upbringing, you know, growing up and having a father as a NBA champion head coach of the 1977 Portland Trailblazers with Bill Walton, a gentleman who I got to meet Bill Walton about 10 years ago, right before I even worked at ESPN. And that was your dad's top player on the Portland Trailblazers. And, you know, talk about what that was like, you know, the accolades speak for themselves, but you know, you can highlight those as well as a top 10 coach in NBA history, but talk about him as a father, what values did he instill, you know, when you think about from a family's perspective and then from a team's perspective? Well, you know, we did this exercise at ESPN one time and they said, describe yourself in five words. And I said, luckiest man in the world. I mean, life's greatest gift to me was being born into the Ramsey family. Uh, my dad, my mom, my brother, my three sisters, um, you know, now my wife and three daughters and grandson and son-in-law and cousins and aunts and uncles. Uh, it, it's been a terrific uh, life for me being in this family. I've received so much love and support from everybody in the family. And it all starts uh, with my dad, who, um, you know, he's best known for being an NBA coach, Hall of Fame coach, um, and a broadcaster. He worked at ESPN for 20 years after he stopped coaching in the NBA. Um, and he was also a global ambassador for the game of basketball. The NBA sent him around the world with Hubie Brown, Bill Walton, Calvin Murphy, and some others to do clinics um, in Europe, in Asia, uh, and in Central and South America. So they traveled the world uh, teaching the game of basketball. Coaches would come from all over the place to see uh, my dad and Hubie and Walton and Calvin Murphy give these clinics. And then they would take their um, messages, their lessons back to their home teams, their clubs, their national teams, and push that message around. So um, so th that's, uh, that's basically my dad's, uh, professional career. Um, but he was much more than just a basketball coach. Um, he, you know, he was born in, in the twenties. Um, so he was raised during the depression. Uh, his family, like most Americans did not have much, um, in the way of money. So he had to earn everything he got. He was a decent athlete. He uh, earned a scholarship to St. Joseph's College. So he uh, was a D1 basketball player. And um, he also, during college, he uh, signed up for the US Navy 
World War II broke out. Uh, he became an officer in the Navy. He was a uh, underwater demolition expert. He was a frogman. He and his team would, um, you know, set explosives and blow up bridges and that kind of thing. Now he was being trained for the invasion of Japan, um, and they were on their way to mine Tokyo Harbor when the war ended. So he never actually got to complete his mission, um, but um, his naval experience was uh, one of the uh, most impressionable things on him in his life. Uh, he went back to St. Joe's, finished his career there. He got a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania. That's why people know him as Dr. Jack because he actually has a doctorate in education from there. Yeah. He was a college professor. Um, he was a world-class triathlete. He um, uh, was very dedicated to health and conditioning. Uh, he uh, would, would swim every day. Uh, in, the, in the morning, I would come down for breakfast at seven o'clock and he'd be at the stove uh, making omelets and uh, he would have already run. He would have already been in the water, you know, did his laps. Uh, he would have already ridden his bike. Uh, he was very, very disciplined and dedicated to his health and conditioning. And he was also a humanitarian. He uh, helped launch a charity called Africa Outreach USA. Um, and the, uh, the goal and the mission of that charity is to uh, build basketball programs and basketball courts at schools across Africa. So um, he, he had a lot of great life experiences and not just in basketball. And all of those experience influenced me um, in the way he approached life he, uh, and the way he conducted himself um, in doing so. And when you say that he influenced you and you talk about all the various activities and all the interests that he had, whether it's, you know, God-given talent, being, you know, an athlete or, you know, just training for, you know, military combat that thankfully he didn't have to see, but living a life of discipline and you speak of that, what are your fondest memories? You know, what things are you proud of that he instilled in you? I'm sure there are so many. And how has that shaped you to the human being you are today and leading you to a career at ESPN? Well, uh, he, was, he was very competitive. Um, and I think some of that wore off on me. Um, and he was very disciplined. And some of that wore off on me. Uh, he, he was a, a great influence uh, on me in, in those two regards. Um, he was he was a very uh, dedicated Christian. He uh, would, you know, he was went to church, um, you know, on the regular. He was there, and I think that he influenced me in that way also. Um, but but one of the things that he always said was, if you see something that doesn't look right, you have to step in and try to 
um, influence that in whatever way you can. Um, I remember one time when I was in college, uh, he and I went out after a game um, to a restaurant and there was a, another couple in the restaurant and the man was yelling at his wife in the restaurant. And my dad got up there and, and when he, he couldn't um, observe this without doing anything about it. So he went right. over there and told the guy to knock it off. And the guy said, hey, this is uh, none of your business. And my dad said, I'm making it my business. You know, uh, what you're doing is not right. Uh, knock it off. Um, and, um, you know, he was able to, you know, diffuse that situation. So those are the things that I think that my dad would not um, allow things like that to go on. You know, if he saw something, uh, he did something about it. Well, the fact that he inserted himself into an area that perhaps maybe was uncomfortable, but it just speaks to his directness and standing by what he firmly believes and is not right. And, you know, you or I would do the same thing too. You know, anytime you see somebody who's being disrespected, it's an uncomfortable feeling because, you know, you're naturally wanting to help out a situation or diffuse a situation and do the right thing. And I think that it speaks to his character that he was yeah. being respectful, but at the same time, he was trying to make an impression to hopefully have this gentleman see differently in treating his wife uh, in the manner in which she should be treated and that should be with great respect. So it speaks probably about how you were raised and the values that you uh, saw growing up and talk about your relationships with your siblings and did you look at them as a team as well, you know, being a team growing up? Yeah, we... Um... Uh, I have a brother, an older brother, John, uh, who also has a, a PhD from University of Buffalo. He works at, he's uh, on the faculty of Muhlenberg College. Um, and I have three sisters. My sister, Susan uh, Daly is a PhD also. She just retired from Quinnipiac University. She worked in the law school there. Uh, my sister, Sharon, um, is uh, has a master's degree in education. She was a teacher. Uh, she's married to uh, former NBA coach Jim O'Brien, and my younger sister Carolyn uh, uh, ran for LA City Council. Worked in uh, City Hall in Los Angeles for a number of years, and now she works uh, in LA, um, uh, trying to uh, build parks and uh, grow trees out there to improve wow. uh, the quality of air for all the Angelinos. So, yeah, and my dad, my dad always uh, tried to get us to work together as a team. We would, um, we all had jobs around the house. Um, and one of the, you know, after dinner, you know, we would all like, he would say, let's do a blitz on the kitchen, you know, and you, Chris, you empty the dishwasher and Sharon, you clear the table and John, you wipe down the counters and Carolyn put the food, you know, so it was all like a, a teamwork uh, atmosphere in, in just about everything we did. And that's, that's wonderful that you have those vivid memories and that it was like a game, right? You know, everybody yeah. has going back to, you know, roles and everybody's going back to, you know, the, the little things that make even chores at your home uh, a, a simpler time and, 
you know, that's the thing too. If you do the little things every day or even the little things in the moment, it, it sets up for, you know, uh, big, big wins, right? You know, yeah. a team and, you know, winning the day, you know, something as simple as a chore or doing your homework or, you know, making your bed. I mean, it all adds up to discipline. Over time, all the little activities make up for longer term success because it's just, you know, being in a position where you're you're learning from experiences and you're learning from a place where it was very much knowing that your parents or your father in, in this case was giving you that blueprint to be successful human beings and taking everything that you do seriously and doing it with the best possible efforts and uh, joy and passion. And would you think that your dad would make a great CEO of a company? And would you consider yourself uh, a great CEO of a company, let's say, with if that was your path? Well, I think my dad could do anything he put his mind to. Uh, he was, um, you know, he wasn't a, a great golfer, but, um, you know, when I played with him, he, you know, if we were having a match, he always, he always beat me because, and I'm not a great golfer either, but, uh, you know, he really bared down. He knew how to bear down. Uh, he knew how to take care of the little things, uh, but he also was able to see the big picture. So I think he could be a great CEO. Uh, and he knew how to build a team. And I think, um, you know, team building uh, is a necessary skill for a manager, a CEO, uh, any corporate executive. Um, you know this as well as anybody. Uh, building the team, like you're a Bucks fan, right? I, I heard yeah. you say on one of the previous shows that you're a Bucks fan. Uh, I grew up in Tampa and since 1996, I've been a Bucks yeah. fan. Yeah. So, you know, Garrett, you know, the Bucks uh, have, well, they haven't won until last year. They hadn't won a playoff game in almost 20 years. Yeah, since our last Super Bowl win. Right. So, yeah. so somebody down there gets the, the big, good idea of, hey, let's, let's get some stars in here. You know, let's get Tom Brady. Let's get Gronk. Let's get Leonard Fournette. And uh, they win the Super Bowl. You know, you, I think from my dad's point of view, uh, he knew that you had to get stars um, in, the, in, in the organization to be a world champion, to, uh, have, to be number one, to have great success. Um, you see this over and over and over again in sports. Now, uh, you know, you, once you get them in, you have to apply the rules, um, you know, the always do the right thing right. and do your best and love one another and be positive and hold people accountable. You have to do all those things. But job one, number one priority for an executive um, should be to, to bring in talent. You can use a LeBron James, as an example, in Cleveland, you know, he worked, he played there for seven years. Right. And the Cavs were unable to put stars around him. Um, 
you know, he was playing with Anderson Barajans and Drunas Silgaskis and, and David Wesley and um, Eric Snow and now Booby Gibson. These guys are all good players. They're among the top 500 players in the world, but uh, they're not all-star level, elite level players that is going to win a championship. So when he became a free agent at Riley, uh, who knows this better than anybody, um, gets LeBron to come to Miami, puts him with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Ray Allen. Four, now you have four Hall of Famers right there. Right. And, and you're going to win a championship. They, they went to the finals four straight years um, and won twice. So, um, and it, it doesn't, it's not just in sports, it's industry, you know, across industries. Like if you look at, at Hollywood, say, somebody says, hey, let's get George Clooney, uh, Matt Damon, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, Don Cheadle, Andy Garcia, uh, Brad Pitt. Let's, let's get them, we'll make a caper movie, we'll call it Ocean's 12 and we'll make $350 million. And, right. and, they, and they do, and they make $350 million. Then two years later, they make Ocean's 13 with the same trick and they make another $300 million. So, and then artists in, in music, you know, uh, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, The Weeknd, Drake, Chris Stapleton, Justin Timberlake, Right. All these people are collaborating. They're huge stars. They know they can make great music together uh, or by themselves. But if they get together and team up with other stars, they can make huge hits. So um, I think uh, my dad, he was lucky. He had that one shot with Bill Walton, who was the, was the MVP of the league uh, in, in 1978 but one of the great basketball players of all time. Um, and they got uh, also, some people forget that uh, the year that the Trailblazers won the championship, they had just gotten an infusion of talent from the ABA. The ABA had just folded and the right. Blazers were able to pick up some great players from the ABA to lift that team to championship level. Right, exactly. And I think right place and right time. And, you know, your dad not only saw all-star or elite level talent, but he was able to really know that this is the moment where I'm going to get my best chance to get to coach guys that I never had the chance to coach. And, you know, it's a great underdog type of story. And nobody was predicting at the time that the Portland Trailblazers would win the title, and they did. Right. And it wasn't a fluke. You know, I mean, your dad is one of the best coaches to ever coach the game, and he was in a transition period. You talk about the ABA folding. I mean, even guys like Julius Irving, who had came from the ABA, and then you know, just other other guys who had successful ABA careers and who were able to make the transition to the NBA. But your dad really was in a position where he had Bill Walton leading the way, but he had other supporting guys around him, and that's what makes the best team. And I love your references to the you know Hollywood movies and, and music. I remember you know meeting in sync a couple of times during those meet and greet days because they were you know from the Orlando area, and I was in nearby Tampa, and I remember 
going to a couple of their concerts and my sister having an older sister, she was a big fan of the music, but I would remember those songs by heart because when you're the younger brother, you just remember those things. Yeah. But getting to meet Justin Timberlake and Joey Fatone, and I recently saw Joey Fatone last year in Orlando, uh, it's just interesting how things just stand the test of time. That music stands the test of time. You talk about the Oceans 11, 12, and 13. Um, those movies are stood a test of time because we've seen throughout history too, you can get very like star-studded celebrities to act in movies and you can get the best talent to be on teams. But some teams are not able to win a championship even though they considered destined to be because expectations were so high and they were just not in rhythm. And then we've seen the same situation, but then they win the championship or that movie's going to be a box office hit. So it's amazing how coaches know what to do with talent. If you're going to give a basketball reference or a director is going to know how to direct the movie, he knows how to bring the strengths and minimize the weaknesses on a stage or on a movie set or on an NBA court or an NFL field. And, you know, Talk about maybe what did your dad do? And you probably touched upon this, but what do you think your dad did so well to make that team an NBA championship winning team? What were the little things? And did he share any stories with, with you? Or do you remember that you know year vividly? I do. Uh, one of the stories that he did share with me was when he first went to Portland. Um, he met with Bill Walton. And Bill Walton told him, he said, coach, don't assume we know anything. Teach us everything you know. And that to me was a, was a perfect message for one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league to send to his coach. It was a message of humility. It was a message of, we wanna learn. It was a message of uh, coach us. We wanna be coached. And so, when uh, my dad heard that, he was very encouraged. So my dad was able to put in his systems and know that, that he had Walton, uh, Walton had his back and that Walton would um, run the plays, both offense and defense that my dad wanted to run. His offense was ball movement and player movement. So Bill Walton would touch the ball and all four other players would touch the ball at least once on every play. Uh, Walton would get the ball at the, at the elbow and um, turn and face the basket. And there would be screens and cutters and other players moving uh, to get open. And then he would make passes, you know, two, three, four passes would be made and the team would get a layup. It was, it was amazing. This is, Again, the team concept of everybody working together and uh, you get a layup, you get an easy basket. And uh, so I think that was it. Now, the, the Trailblazers played the 76ers in the finals that year. And you mentioned Julius Irving. Julius Irving was on that team. George McGinnis was on that team. Daryl Dawkins, Doug Collins, Henry Bibby. The Sixers were loaded with stars. Uh, and as you said, they were expected to win the series, but they didn't play team basketball the way the Trailblazers did. Uh, and I think the reason why the Trailblazers were 
victorious in that series is because of the way they played. They played team basketball. They shared the ball. They took care of one another. Uh, they had each other's backs on defense, and uh, they were victorious. Yeah, and it would. They and the rest is history. You know, they they were able to stand up to the Philadelphia 76ers and they were able to match up very well and they were able to you know overcome uh odds and, and win and win the championship and I think that is definitely a highlight in NBA history and I love how you're able to just walk us through in such a descriptive type of fashion and and, and really give the audience at home an understanding of you know, what was necessary to compete at such a high level at the time. And, you know, Bill Walton was, you know, coached by one of the best at UCLA, John Wooden. And I'm sure getting the opportunity to play at UCLA, to play for the Portland Trailblazers, and even get to play for Larry Bird's, with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and everybody in the Celtics. And even though he was past his prime, you know, he was great, great wisdom and still good enough to, compete at a high level, even though injuries kind of derailed, you know, Bill Walton, but he was still able to play at a high level for so many years. And I'm so happy that your father had a wonderful opportunity to coach him. Uh, what are you most proud of these days as you look back on your career at ESPN and, you know, growing up, talk to me a little about Rollins too. I know I'm talking to you from Orlando and I used to live in Winter Park for a couple of years and that's where I met my wife there. So Winter Park is very special to me. She went to Rollins College as well. Talk about your time at Rollins and what team related or relationship building, you know, activities did you experience? Well, Rollins was a great uh, place for me. Um, they, uh, they let me do a lot of independent studies. So um, I made films down there. I did a lot of videotape work. Um, I also worked at the radio station and had to direct the staff there a little bit. So that was one of my team building exercises. I worked on the newspaper um, at Rollins, but Rollins is a great place. Winter Park was a great place. I really enjoyed, um, you know, going to college there. It was, it was just uh, a phenomenal spot for me that offered so many opportunities to me and opened so many doors for me and helped me, um, uh, you know, get my career started. I, I actually started my career uh, at a radio station in Orlando uh, while I was at Rollins. So um, yeah, I was, I was, I loved Rollins, but I was anxious to get my career started at the same time. So uh, I took advantage of, of all that kind of thing. That, that's wonderful. And what relationship building things that are you, you involved in now, you know, now that you're retired and would love to hear more about what you've been up to um, yeah. since retirement. Thanks. So before my dad uh, passed, he helped launch uh, this charity. I think I re referred to it earlier, Africa Outreach USA. Um, we're trying to build sports facilities, mostly basketball and sports programs, again, mostly basketball at rural schools in Africa. And we're a, we're a small group, <laughs> we're all volunteer, uh, but um, you know, that's, that is a become a, an important thing in my life. You know, my dad, I think he, he uh, 
did this uh, so that we would have something to do, you know, after he, he, he kind of said, here, do this, you know. Uh, but I remember one day I was uh, visiting him and there was a FedEx uh, envelope on his uh, kitchen table and there was a DVD in there. I said, dad, what's this? And he goes, oh, just put it, put it in the machine and play it. So I was playing it and it was, um, it was a basketball clinic at a rural, it was a dirt court in rural Africa. And the, the baskets were kind of like this, you know, they were, they were slanted, but there were 30 uh, kids, boys and girls. Uh, many of them had no shoes, uh, working really hard, uh, trying to learn how to play basketball, running up and down. And, and I was watching this in amazement. These kids were really, uh, you know, doing their best, trying their best. And some of the kids were really pretty good. And at the end, the camera panned over and it said, Jack Ramsey Grassroots Basketball Initiative, oh. Zimbabwe. And I, I looked at my dad, I said, so this is your thing, you're doing this? And he, and he looked at me. I had no idea that he had started this. So, um, so he, you know, he opened the door for us to pursue so many things. And now uh, my, I have, I've been to Africa twice um, to uh, participate in clinics and in fundraising um, to help get this program, um, you know, to, to continue uh, this program. And it's been a, a great uh, source of pride for me and the, the rest of my family. Um, it's been a great experience uh, working with Africa Outreach, meeting the dedicated uh, uh, coaches and school educators in uh, some of these places. Garrett, I mean, the schoolhouse, and their number one priority is not to build a basketball court because the schoolhouse, they have, they have a, a lot of times they have absolutely nothing. You know, you walk in the schoolhouse and it's, there's just a blackboard there and the teacher's right down. There's, there's no electricity, there's no running water. Um, so, uh, they have nothing or or next to nothing. So, um, you know, we're trying to to um, change the situation over there and help uh, the kids through sports. And when you think of it as a philanthropic nonprofit type of organization that you're very proud of, that your dad, you know, helped start, you know. When you think about what makes a great CEO or what advice you would give CEOs, it seems like being a part of this organization, you know, you can think about it, you know, what requires as an executive leader in a nonprofit world to make an impact on so many lives outside the US in a place or on a continent like Africa where, you know, basketball has been evolving over three plus decades. And even with the 92 Dream Team, really putting basketball on the world stage with, you know, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Clyde Drexler, Carl Malone, John Stockton, all, all those athletes at the time, David Robinson, who played on that team, Magic Johnson. But you think about, you know, how basketball has evolved in so many countries where basketball is being played today. You know, the work that you're doing in Africa, it requires a lot of selfless, innovative, philanthropic efforts and, you know, skills and talents to really be able to maximize 
all the great potential that needs to be maximized and to give all of these young children hope and inspiration and dreams that they would hope to manifest with the help of you know people like yourselves so I'm, i would imagine you're very proud of all that chris i'm very proud of it and i'm proud of, of the organization as i said we're small we're all volunteer but uh when i ask when i tell people about it they always say how can i help you know they they want to um they want to chip in in some way so uh it's been it's been very rewarding um you know people here in connecticut have uh, you know donated uniforms and sneakers and uh referee equipment whistles and striped jerseys and um you know all all kinds of think basket used basketballs new basketballs so uh you know i've been able to meet so many people through this charitable endeavor uh and so many good people the good the great people uh want to do great things they want to be associated with great things and uh it's been a real pleasure for me and my family that's wonderful that's wonderful and you talk about how your father you know being a christian man and you know whether you're christian or whether you're of another you know religious beliefs or backgrounds you know it's all about you know us as human beings it's all about diversity it's all about everybody coming together for a common cause and it's wonderful that you are so proud of it and so proud to carry on the legacy that your you know father left you and then for your kids i'm sure and do you have any final words about relationship building in the team environment? You know, I really enjoyed having you on the program. Uh, would love to hear any final thoughts you have, maybe things that we haven't touched upon yet, because I really have enjoyed my time with you today. Well, I, just one thing that I've tried to do um, is to be positive, uh, to have a positive attitude. And um, it can really have an impact on other people. Um, just as having a negative attitude can have a negative impact on people, you have a positive attitude, you can really lift people up. So I remember early in my career, I was working at a job. It was, it was a pretty good job, um, but I felt like I was stuck in that job and I wasn't learning anything and I wasn't going anywhere. So I didn't have a positive attitude in the workplace. In fact, I probably had a negative attitude. And uh, one of my coworkers noticed this. Um, I guess I was being grumpy too often. And he wrote a note to my boss and, and sent it to him. And then my boss called me in. He said, he gave me the note and, it, and I read it and I was, uh, I was flabbergasted, you know, uh, that uh, I was having such a negative impact on the workplace. Mm -hmm. So from that that point on, um, you know, I had to look at myself in the mirror, like, what what are you doing wrong? Why are you acting this way? Um, you know, so I tried to change it, and I tried to change it um, 180 degrees, so that I went go from negative to being positive. Now you can't be Pollyanna, but you have to um, when you hit the door, when you go in the door, you have to have a uh, uplifting uh, attitude. You have to try to pick people up 
Um, and I think that uh, is something, it doesn't, it doesn't take any skill, right? You don't have to have right. any skill to do that. Anybody can do it. So um, I think just, it's a little thing, but I think it makes a huge impact. And if you do the opposite, it makes a very huge impact as well. So be positive, don't be negative. I think that's a great final message and how that simple, you know, experience was so profound because all it is, and you can control it too, your personality, your outlook on life, you know, never doubt any type of circumstance, no matter how hard it is, you know, because you're always going to have challenges, but you're also going to have, you know, many triumphs too. And it makes you a stronger person and it makes you be very humble and really grows your character. And I think that you are, you're a man of great character and integrity and, you know, the life that you've lived and the influences that you've had, you know, from your dad and the influences you have on your own family and you've lived a great life of service. And I really enjoyed highlighting the relationship that you and your father had because it's very rare to have a strong father and son relationship and you had such a quality one and it's helped you become the person you are today and the teams that you had to lead at ESPN as well. And I'm just happy to know you and happy that we met at ESPN. And I really enjoyed the time to get to know you and that, you know, we could stay in touch for many years later and then you could be a part of my podcast and share your experiences and your words of wisdom, which that's the purpose of relationship building and team environment, because whether you're in the sports field you know, the business world in music and fashion and in major motion pictures of all walks of life, you know, anybody doesn't matter who you are, as long as you have a passion and a purpose to succeed. And you know that you can't get the job done without someone else or other people around you to help you get the job done. You help them, you know, achieve their goals and dreams and what they aspire to. I mean, that's what makes the world a better place. So I really appreciate your time today, Chris. Thank you so much. Gary, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much, Chris. And we'll stay in touch and you take care. God bless.